Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest and best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder and executive director of Questionmark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, we welcome Jim Holm, CEO of Examity. Jim brings nearly two decades of experience leading high-growth education and technology companies. He most recently served as CEO of Performance Assessment Network, which is now part of PSI Online. Prior to joining PAN, Jim also held senior executive roles at Pearson and Certiport. Jim started his career in IT, holding many of the major IT certifications, and he's run private post-secondary schools, certification programs for IT companies, and was a successful IT consultant and trainer. Jim holds a Bachelor of Science degree in economics from BYU and has studied IT law at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to spend some time with you this afternoon. Thank you. So could we start off by you telling me how you got into assessment? Yeah, it's a fun story. Uh, When I was a senior at university, I started to look for a job as I was about to graduate. And at that point in time, I was going to graduate with an econ degree, and I was really struggling to see how I'd be able to support my young family. And so with just a semester left of school, I dropped out and I attended a training organization uh, that helped me get certified in Microsoft, Adobe, Cisco, uh, and HP, and several other certifications at the time. Those certifications uh, created a platform for my career and my life that I don't think I could have received in any other way. And those certifications allowed me to become an expert uh, in a topic at that time, network engineering, that was new to a lot of businesses. And I was able to go in and start with consulting, uh, working with city governments, state governments, and large corporations to implement their networks. And as a 23 or 24-year-old, to be looked at as an expert in a subject uh, was really career-defining and changed my life. Because of that experience and because of what happened to me personally, John, I decided that I wanted to be able to help other people do that exact same thing. And so I went to San Diego and I started a training company uh, with a couple of partners there to help individuals get the same certifications that I did. I then uh, left that school in San Diego and went to another uh, school in Utah to do the exact same thing again, and eventually was able to help thousands of individuals gain the same network technical certification programs that I did. And that led me to my career at CertiPort and testing and everything that I've done since. But I really reflect now back on the power that those credentials uh, had in my life to, to change the trajectory of where I was going. That's a really lovely story. Because we so often talk about how certifications are positive and empowering for people. But here's a real example of it happening. So tell us about CertiPort. Yeah, CertiPort was one of the early pioneers in creating live in-application exams. And so we worked with Microsoft, Adobe, HP, several other technology providers to create certification products that instead of just asking multiple choice questions, you would go into the applications or the environments themselves and solve the problems. And we would be able to measure how you solve those problems and what the end state of the solution was. And so that type of testing uh, and the pioneering work that CertiPort did 20 years ago 
uh, I think, created some of the breadth of the different types of exam experiences that you see in the industry. And it created in me a really love of seeing uh, all of these different types of questions that can be asked and be psychometrically valid to make sure we're measuring the right things for job performance or student performance, but do it in a more engaging, fun, and unique way. And uh, if I understand right, CertiPort was more about uh, performance questions and experiential questions rather than sort of multiple choice questions? That's exactly right. Uh, we spent a lot of time in helping uh, IT companies identify ways in which they can test in the actual environments of the software instead of through multiple choice questions. And I think after CertiPort, you moved to PAN or you set up PAN, which was a very innovative company. Do you want to talk a bit about how PAN came about? Yeah, so Performance Assessment Network uh, came about because there were a couple of psychologists that had built their own instruments, but recognized that they did not have the breadth of tools that were needed to solve more complex business hiring challenges. Uh, and so instead of just using one or two tests, they started to build a technology platform that could bring on all the different types of publishers uh, for psychometric evaluations, and then allow companies to choose the best of breed of those tests to solve all kinds of uh, HR and hiring challenges. Through a five or six year process uh, while I was at PAN, we went from having just a couple of uh, publishers to having 52 or 53 publishers, and we ended up having over 1,500 different psychometric assessments wow. that organizations could choose from. So instead of just having to choose one or two or three exams for every job profile that you had, you could choose the exam that was a, the best fit in the industry for that particular job profile. It was really a unique look at solving the challenge of using psychometric tools in hiring uh, because not owning the intellectual property of any one exam allowed us to give what I would consider neutral advice uh, on which instruments would best measure the traits uh, or the personality or whatever you were looking for in a particular job uh, and do that with the highest level of fidelity and measurement and psychometric capability. And then after a time at PAN, which I think was eventually bought by PSI, you've become CEO of Examity. And I think if I understand right, you became CEO about a month before the pandemic when there's been such a huge flood and expansion of online proctoring. Could you talk a bit about why you went to Examity and perhaps what challenges you faced there? Yeah. So, uh, John, this will be kind of a fun exploration over the next little while as we look at Examity and then broad, more broadly what's happening in the proctoring space. But I chose to come to Examity for a few different reasons. One, I'm a firm believer that being able to create a better exam experience for the candidate will drive the decisions of how exams are distributed into the future. And moving some of the or all of those exam experiences out of the institution or the testing center and allowing that test experience to happen anywhere in the world is a very positive step in creating a better candidate experience. And I saw Examity as one of or the leader in live remote proctoring. And so I believe that it is the future of where we're going and Examity had a good footprint. Second, uh, the team at Examity was great. 
they had a good growth profile. Uh, they had the tools, both financially and technically, in order to be able to meet some of the market demands. Uh, and that was a, a great opportunity. So now you have a market opportunity, you have a great team, you have some of the tools that are needed. And finally, we had a good financial partner in Great Hill that is willing to make investments for us to be able to continue to grow the team. And I think that that's a really fun and interesting mix of opportunity, people, technology, tools, and financing that doesn't come along very often. And when I saw all of those pieces come together with Examity, uh, I wanted to be part of it. And I, I thought it would be a great company to be able to help grow and help move into the future. And Jim, what kind of challenges have you faced since joining? Well, you mentioned the timeline. So I joined roughly two weeks before COVID became uh, a real business challenge. So initially early on, the challenge of moving into a new business is learning how decisions are made, learning how the people interact with each other, learning the assets that the organization has in place, speaking with some of the great customers that have been using your products for a while, and trying to learn the product roadmap of how we can continue to improve as an organization, and then put the business plans in place to be able to grow the business and move it forward. Uh, and so I had about two weeks of that fun experience, and then uh, a lot changed almost overnight. So we first saw some of the challenge that would become COVID in Australia, where some of our school partners that were there uh, initially had to have their students go home or become quarantined because of the spread outside of China. Uh, we then looked at how that might impact our business around the world, and we had some uh, business continuity plans in place, and we had some ways in which we thought we would be able to handle that. But the speed in which the change occurred and how quickly uh, the change in remote proctoring uh, and the way in which we as employees around the world interact with the businesses and the customers that we have changed very, very, very quickly. And we ended up not being able to keep up quite as well as we would have liked to. Uh, we had challenges with uh, moving people from our offices to work remotely. We had challenges in some of the technology that we worked with, and we had to very quickly move to an environment where people could overcome those challenges and we could continue to uh, proctor exams for our uh, good partners around the world. And so uh, we have, uh, as all companies do, challenges on a daily basis, uh, adjusting to the scale of the growth that's happening in the business, as well as to be able to preserve and improve the services that we provide as changes have occurred because of COVID. And is COVID just giving demand as normal for online proctoring, or has there been a huge increase in demand? Uh, so there are two categories in this, John, that I've seen. There is the short-term emergency planning that institutions had to put in place in order to be able to handle their immediate semester or their immediate certification program. Uh, we saw for a while around a 800% increase in the number of leads that were coming into the organization in order for us to be able to help in that short-term emergency type of support. After uh, roughly six weeks or so, there were still organizations that were in that emergency planning mode. But at that point in time, many organizations started to look at longer term changes to how they would run their testing programs. And so we still continue to see uh, about a five-fold increase in demand uh, in leads coming into the organization from a year ago. 
But that demand now is what I would consider in a more thoughtful and planned approach versus just the emergency preparedness and reaction mode that we saw early on. Uh, I think that any uh, large, reputable testing program at a university or at a certification or licensure program is seriously considering today how remote proctoring should be one of the tools that they use in order to be able to make sure that their candidates can get access to their programs. It might not be 100% of what they use or the tools that they have in the future, but I think that every single program today is considering it. And that was not the case prior to COVID. And what are the key things that customers look for in proctoring? And does that differ between academic and certification and corporate? Yeah, that's an interesting question, John. There end up being three categories that these organizations look for when they're trying to decide on remote proctoring. The first one is that they want to have identity management. They want to have some level of confidence that the candidate coming in to take the exam is who they say they are. Second, they want to have protection of the testing process. They want to make sure that wherever possible, cheating is minimized and that people feel accountable for the results of the exam. And third, they want to be able to protect the intellectual property of the exam itself so that they will be able to use that exam into the future and make sure that those items continue and remain psychometrically valid through the process. So those are the three main reasons why organizations would consider remote proctoring. And I think that whether you're an educational institution or a certification entity, you are probably looking for those same three things, but you might have a different prioritization of those three elements. I think from an education perspective, keeping integrity in the process and making sure that there's not cheating going on is probably the highest priority on that side. And in certification and licensure, uh, based upon the programs that they have set up and what they're doing, the protection of the intellectual property is really important to the process. And then making sure that the candidates can easily get access to the certification program is uh, also an important aspect on the certification side. Yes. Some of the things that people ask us is whether online proctoring is as secure as test center proctoring. Do you have a take on that? Yeah, I think that there are some interesting studies that have come out over the last year or so that are trying to address this. Uh, in general, I believe that they are basically as secure as most test center locations. And in some ways, they are better. And in some ways, they might not be quite as good. We will absolutely be able to see and view types of cheating that in large-scale test centers is very difficult to look at. Examity also operates at a very low proctor-to-test-candidate ratio. So on average, we're having a two-to-one, at most a three-to-one ratio of uh, the number of tests a single proctor is looking at. And if you think of a test center where that ratio might be 12, 15, 20 to 1. And in educational institutions and universities, maybe it's 50 or even 100 to 1 in a large testing hall or testing center. You can recognize that there are advantages in that ratio in remote proctoring. 
Uh, that being said, we do try and protect the environment in which a candidate takes the exam. We do room scans. We're looking for changes in volume. Uh, we're looking for other people coming into the room. Uh, and so we can control the environment, but there's no way for us to absolutely control the environment that might happen if you were to own a test center, because we, we do trust the candidates that they're going to be using their home or their office or other location to take the exams, and there's not as much control over that environment. Makes good sense. What advice would you give if an organization is moving into online proctoring? How, for example, should they educate their test takers? What else do they need to do? So, John, I think that there are a couple of categories here. Uh, One is how do you prepare the candidate for the exam experience? And the second one is how do you prepare your program for the experience? If you start with the candidate uh, and then uh, second look at the program, I think you can start to articulate and start to think through some of the challenges that you might experience. So from the candidate's side, they need to be able to pre-register for the exam. They need to be able to make sure that the computer hardware that they have is going to meet the minimum requirements. They have to make sure that they have a steady and stable internet connection. And as many of us now in the COVID world participate in many, many more virtual meetings than we did before, you can recognize the importance of not only the speed of the internet connection, but also the continuity of the internet connection in order to be able to make sure the exam experience is good. Finally, on the candidate side, we need to be able to clearly communicate what the rules of the exam experience are going to be up front so that they know what to expect. They know to expect that the proctor can help them through the registration process. They need to know that the proctor is there to be able to make sure that they can answer any question about the exam experience itself, and that the proctor is there to make sure that the exam experience occurs as it's supposed to. When you think of the program itself, instead of just the candidate, some of the things that you need to look at from your program is, uh, is it appropriate to ask the questions and use the exact same format that you've used in your exams in the past. Sometimes remote proctoring and security around remote proctoring might require to use different types of items or different types of exams. You need to be able to evaluate whether your process for onboarding new exam candidates is appropriate in a virtual environment. And finally, I think you need to be able to take a look at the exam experience itself and make sure that the test driver or the piece of software that it is going through and asking the questions is stable and it's proven uh, in a remote proctored environment and that you're not using a new piece of technology that might not be used to the remote proctoring world uh, because the, there are some nuances that are a little bit different. So I guess in conclusion on the program side, you need to look at the process, you need to look at the exam itself, and you need to look at the examination technology software to make sure it's going to meet the needs as well. Thank you. And just to clarify for any listeners who don't know, Questionmark and Examity do have a partnership, and a lot of organizations use Questionmark software with Examity proctoring. So how do you see things going in the long term? Do you think we're going to see test centers still having a role? Will test centers be mothballed? How do you see that unfolding? So, John, I think that there is one uh, type of exam experience right now that is very difficult to replicate with live remote proctoring, and that is a very large simultaneous exam window. So if you have a college college entrance exam, as an example, that wants to be able to do 100,000 exams on a Saturday morning, 
there is almost no way in which live remote proctoring will be able to handle that situation. And so to be able to leverage uh, academic institutions or test center locations makes a lot of sense uh, because the technology is not there yet. I think we can solve that problem over time, but today it's not there. So if you have a program that does not require exceptionally large simultaneous testing, I think live remote proctoring is a very good alternative for you today. And that experience for the candidate is going to continue to get better over time. And there will be more and more uh, business requirements as to why remote proctoring would make sense. Let's say you're a financial uh, services uh, expert and professional in New York City, and you need to take a new Series 7 exam. Do you really want to have to deal with the transportation challenges, the logistical challenges, and taking a half a day off to go and take a 90-minute exam uh, at a location that's not in your office versus being able to create a quiet space in your office uh, set aside the time that's basically the window that the actual exam experience will take itself and be able to take the exam uh, at the convenience of your life instead of at the convenience of the test center. I think that that experience difference is so compelling that over time, there's no reason why a majority of certification, licensure, and education testing will not be occurring in a remote proctored world in the future. So I agree with you, and it will be interesting to see what happens. And of course, your New York City example is all very well, but if you live in a much smaller town, you might have a much bigger journey. It could be more than half a day out of the office to take a test. I agree with you, John. Today, I'm in Montana and rural part of the state. For me to be able to take an exam, it would probably be a minimum of a three-hour drive plus the exam experience and then the return home. So I think you're exactly right on that. And in some countries... There are a lot less test centers. I know in Australia, there are very big distances to travel, for example. So moving on a bit, what about artificial intelligence, AI and proctoring? Is that going to happen? Is it happening now? Or is it a red herring? I'd love to hear your views on AI. Yeah. So it, from Examity's perspective, we're really viewing AI in kind of two different categories. The first category is how do we use computer systems in order to be able to make our live proctors more effective at their job? How can we route the certification exams to the proctor who has the most experience in those programs? How do we route the exams that are most likely to see challenges either in protection of intellectual property or in cheating to the proctors that are going to be most experienced to be able to handle that? Or how do we allow our proctors as they're watching or invigilating an exam to be able to see when a potential risky behavior is occurring? That level of AI is already being implemented. It's interesting. And because you still have people in the process uh, that can either support, augment, or basically reject what the technology is doing, uh, we think that's an appropriate use of some of those technologies today. When you start to talk about turning over the entire proctoring solution or process to computer systems, uh, we actually don't believe that in most instances that the technology is there to create a similar experience to having a live remote proctor. So we believe that uh, AI systems or 
recognition, behavioral recognition systems during an exam can point towards whether cheating or using information incorrectly is occurring in the test. And it's getting relatively good at that. But the identity management of a candidate is very sensitive, and we may not ever want to go to AI systems for identity management. And when you think of the protection of the intellectual property, there's really no way that a computer system can fix the harvesting of intellectual property. So if you think of a a live proctor seeing a candidate writing down questions, they can pause the exam, they can change the exam, but a computer system doesn't know what to do with that yet. There's no way for the AI system to stop the exam. So the harvesting of IP is probably the biggest challenge right now in any type of a larger scale artificial intelligence proctoring system uh, going into the market. Makes sense. So what I think we're seeing is in the certification space, almost everyone wants live online proctoring with a human proctor. Whereas in the academic market, where maybe people aren't so worried about IP theft and content theft, we're seeing more interested in, interest in automated proctoring. Is that what you're seeing as well? It is. And I think that the price point for the automated systems uh, also drive some of the behavior in the academic institutions. With COVID occurring, uh, many of those institutions are under significant financial duress. Uh, And they feel like maybe live remote proctoring is a nice to have instead of a have to have. Whereas if your certification program lives and breathes around the certification uh, process, then you cannot afford to have any risk in that system. You need to do everything you can uh, to protect the integrity of your credential. So what about identifying people remotely? Do you see new technology happening there? And how is remote proctoring going to deal with these kind of issues and challenges? How are you going to be sure it's the right person? So, John, first and foremost, uh, privacy is exceptionally important as we think about how we might be able to use technology to help us in the future. So being able to create identity connections between the certification program or the academic institution and the candidate is what's most important. And there are a variety of ways that you can do that. Uh, Examity is looking at ways from basically uh, just trusting the educational institution and the candidate that they are who they say they are through process, all the way through to looking at ways in which biometrics, facial recognition, voice recognition could also be deployed in very highly sensitive environments. Uh, And so where Examine is coming out on this is that we need to protect the identity of the candidate. It's up to the testing program itself, uh, the certification program or the educational institution, as to which tools they may want to deploy for their candidate bases. And, And we think that for educational institutions, they're going to be migrating more and more towards uh, having the identity of the candidate be based upon the security of the process. And we think that higher-end certification programs will be looking more and more for some of these higher-end identity management programs in order to be able to make sure the candidate is who they say they are and that they're protecting the intellectual property of their exam and the overall credibility of their certification process. 
perhaps we could just end with a little bit about what you think are the real success factors for online proctoring. There are lots of organizations, a lot of people moving into online proctoring, either from test center programs or from university programs or paper programs, or because they're moving classroom training online. What are the key success factors? What are the two or three takeaways for our listeners in terms of making online proctoring successful? I think that the key first step is that you are comfortable with the level of communication that is occurring between the partner that you choose to do remote proctoring and the testing program itself. And this starts with uh, the business planning. It moves into the technology integration and it moves into the beta testing of your first few candidates. Uh, And you work through some of the sticking points uh, of that process before you go to scale. If that communication and workflow process is going well, uh, then when challenges come up in the testing world where they do, maybe candidates don't have the bandwidth that they need or the test experience hasn't gone perfectly, you can use that already established process to work through those challenges uh, and it'll end up being good for the candidate, uh, the program, uh, and the testing organizations themselves. So the first step is uh, that communication and workflow process. The second thing is educating the exam candidate on how they should be prepared prior to going into the exam experience and then what the exam experience should be like. The more uh, comfortable they are with the exam experience and the more comfortable they are that they have the tools in place that will work when they need to work for the exam itself the less stress that that candidate will feel through the exam experience and the more positive the result will end up being. And finally, uh, you need to be able to recognize that the exam experience is not going to be the exact same as it is when you're using a test center. Uh, We do a good job of trying to replicate the best or the most positive aspects of that testing experience, uh, but it is different. And make sure you talk to your testing partners. In our play, uh, in our position, John, it, it would be question mark or examity, and talk about how the exam experience might be a little bit different and be comfortable with that before you implement it. And, and if you do those three things, I think you can have a very positive experience in moving either a portion or the entirety of your testing programs to online remote proctoring. Thank you. That's really interesting. And I think there's been a lot in this podcast which will interest people in the community and those moving to online proctoring. So thank you very much indeed, Jim, for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, John. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please reach out to me directly at johnatquestionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for our best practice webinars that we host monthly. Thanks again, and please tune in next time for another exciting podcast discussion. Mm -hmm.